0: Well, how cool is that? I want to let you guys know, kind of just, um, we want to be in the habit of telling stories of what God is doing in our community and what's he doing by his spirit among us. And this is just one of those cool things that happened uh, in August. We had different August studies. And one of the studies we did was how to use visual art to communicate the gospel. And so Justin Eccles is kind of leading that charge here at the Vine. He has a lot of experience in this. He did this uh, in missions, in Turkey, this kind of exact same thing, uh, for 13 years. And so it's just a pleasure to have him with us. And so he brought a group of people through this whole kind of training course on how to make a symbol, a visual artistic piece that can communicate the gospel. And uh, all of those are out in the lobby this morning. I really encourage you to take a look at those, look at the explanations And just kind of soak in, take a moment. Maybe some of the artists will be hanging out around back there. And uh, just be looking forward to things like this continuing to pop up in the lobby and maybe some other places around the Vine. We want to celebrate um, art at the local church. And uh, historically, that's always been the case. And so we want to see that continue to happen at the Vine. All right. So we are in, if you're new, we're in a vision series. Here at the vine where we 're talking about gospel community and mission, these are kind of the things we orbit around as a church and what do those really mean and how do they affect us together in the church and how should that um, how should that cause us to relate to one another in a unique way? how should that affect what we do in terms of here when we gather but also when we 're not here and we 're outside the walls of this church so we 're really trying to drill down into that we do this every year just to remind each other, what are we all about? Because we're forgetful people. And so last week we talked about the gospel. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go online or the podcast and and listen to that because it builds to where we're going to be this week and also next week. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. And I think Jessica is going to read the text for us this morning. So starting in Hebrews Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews ten nineteen through twenty five. These are the words of God. Let's pray together. Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your grace. To, to be among us right now, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would just use your word as you promised to in the power of your spirit to bless your church and to equip us with all that we need for the works that you've called us to do among our neighbors and among the nations. And so would you empower that this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump back to verse 19, okay? And let's just break this text down. I think there's going to be some really exciting things for us here as it relates to community, okay? Verse 19 Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's stop right there. I want us to pay attention to this word, since. Since is a very, very powerful word in your Bibles. Now, it might not seem that flashy or grandiose, but it really is. And here's what I mean. Oftentimes, the word since leads us to statements of identity. It's relating to statements of identity, meaning what is true about you or what is true about God. Okay? Okay? And oftentimes, after that statement of identity, you're going to see a statement about how we're called to live. Okay? So the concept is identity precedes action. A more technical way to say it would be the indicatives precede the imperatives. But that's a little too complicated. Let's just say identity precedes action. You don't know what to do unless you know who you are first. All right, you with me? Let me just demonstrate this. This sounds kind of um, theoretical, but let me give you some examples that'll make it land for you. Since, if you're a member of this church, we would say a statement like this. Since you are a member of this church, thus, so that's the identity, I am, I am, you are, identity statement. Thus, you will love one another. That's what the Bible implies, right? So since you're a member of this church, you are called to love one another. The action is followed by the identity statement. Make sense? Another one. Since you are a citizen of the United States, that's your identity. Since that's true, you have the identity of a citizen of the U.S. Now here comes the action. You will pay your taxes. Right? See how that works? You don't pay your taxes to achieve your citizenship, do you? No. That, that's, that, that, that never works. The opposite is true, right? The true statement, the identity statement, always precedes the action. And that's exactly, all that to say, that's exactly what Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, is doing here. These sin statements are going to lead to action as it relates to community for the people to whom he's writing, them then and us now. These sin statements have huge implications. Look at it again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have— What do we have? We have confidence. So we are people, identity, identity, identity. We are people who have confidence to do what? To enter the holy places. Why? Because of Jesus' blood. Because by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way. So Jesus has done a new thing, and it's alive, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. So what is the author here referring to? Now, many of us might be new to our Bibles this morning, and that's totally fine. We're glad that you're here. And this language might be kind of confusing. I've been reading my Bible for a long time, and the Hebrews is it's a challenging book. It's, a, it's, it's, it's confusing sometimes for me, too. Well, let me just explain this to you. Here's, here's one important thing to know. When it comes to the book of Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews, who we don't really know who it is, Um, He's writing very clearly to Jewish people that have been converted to Christianity, okay? And since that's the case, the author of Hebrews, he's drawing on rich Old Testament themes to make the points that he wants to make to this original audience. Why? Because they're they're formerly Jewish people right so he's using pictures and analogies and statements that they're going to understand because they would have been experts in the old testament right and here's the deal that you have to see one of his main objectives is to encourage perseverance in these people well why would he do that because they were facing the heat of persecution at this time in history the roman empire was putting on serious heat on christians And for many Christians, it was just too hot. It was too hot. And because of that, they were just going to go back to Judaism. Judaism is a a lot more comfortable in the Roman Empire than Christianity was. So let's just, man, let's forget this Christianity stuff. Let's go back to what's comfortable. And the whole book of Hebrews, the author is trying to convince this church that he's writing to, don't do it. Don't do it. Stick with Jesus. It's worth it. The suffering is worth it. The trials and the hardships are worth it. The the, the stress and the pressure, it's worth it. Don't give up on church. Don't give up on this community, okay? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh— And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Now let's seek to understand this. What are these pictures he's drawing on? The first one here is, he says, holy places. See it there in verse 19? We have confidence to enter the holy places. Now when he says holy places here, he's referring to something from the Old Testament. And the idea is that in the Old Testament, you couldn't just enter certain places that God said, I'm going to show up here in a unique way with my presence. And if I'm going to show up here, that's going to imply some things for you. What that implies for you is that you're going to have to do some rituals and some, 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 some cleansing and some sacrificing of animals, all of this stuff that I'm just going to ask you to do. And if you do what I'm asking you to do by faith, hear my word and trust it by faith, I will accept this and, and like I will, my wrath won't pour out on you because of your sin. You're going to have this animal and you're going to slay it. And that's going to be a symbol that reminds you that it should have been the animal, or it should have been you that died. But instead, I'm going to receive this animal as a substitute so that you can know it should have been me. But praise be to God and His grace that He's received this substitute in my place. And Jesus is saying, the author of Hebrews is saying, we have something better than all of that. We have something better than all of that. We don't have animal sacrifices anymore. What do we have? We have the Lamb of God, the final sacrifice, the perfect final substitute. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. We have confidence now because he was sacrificed for us so that we could be in the holy places, meaning we can have direct connection to God right now. We don't have to slay a goat to to relate to the Lord anymore. We don't have to relate to the Lord in fear anymore that his wrath might be poured out on us because of our sin. No, because his wrath was poured out once and for all on himself in Jesus. And so now the author of Hebrews is saying, man, you got confidence. Look at it, verse 19. We have confidence to enter into a relationship with God, to relate to God in a powerful way, in a real way, because of Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit alive in us. That's what he's saying. And and he's saying, Jesus made this possible. Don't you know you have direct access because of Jesus? He's just saying, guys, that's amazing. That's amazing. You don't have to stand far off in fear. No, you can draw near with confidence. What about this language of a a curtain? See it there? In, In verse 20, By the new and living way, he opened for us through the curtain. And this is just another symbol from Old Testament worship where the people had to be removed from the presence of God. And the high priest and, and some other special people, if they, if they did the right rituals, could go behind the curtain and God would symbolically meet with them there. And they would be fine because of the rituals that they, that they produced, that God commanded, that they did by faith. And what happened amazingly in the Gospels is that, that curtain was torn in two. And that was a physical, uh, I'm sorry, a, a physical, visible uh, symbol that communicates something. Very similar to the symbols that you'll see out in the lobby that communicate something about the gospel. It's the same exact thing. God is communicating something through a picture. This curtain that separated people from the holy presence of God was ripped in half. What does that mean? What that means is because when Jesus died, now we have access. It's not just the super holy people that clean themselves up. It's not just the high priest. No, we have a new high priest who laid down his life for us so that we can enter into the presence of God without fear, without separation, with immediate access. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. There's a new—we're all allowed behind the curtain now because of Jesus. Jesus. That's beautiful. We don't need priests to mediate for us anymore. Jesus is the final mediator. So just go to Jesus. Have a relationship with Jesus. Let that revolutionize your community. So the whole point of these first three verses is just this. Through Jesus and a relationship with him by faith, we have direct access to God apart from sacrifices and priests. Now, for us 2,000 years later, 2,000 years of Christianity, that might not be that big of a deal. You're like, oh, yeah, direct access to God. Yeah, I've always known that. I've always been taught that. You know, okay, tell me something I don't know, right? But let's, let's just pause and think about that. The God of the universe in Jesus comes to earth, lays down his life for us, rises from the dead for us, promises to return for us, and has all authority in heaven and on earth. And he says, come to me. You can come to me and know that I hear you. You can come to me. The same God that flung the stars into the sky and by his very word of power upholds this universe, says, come to me. I am so transcendent, but there can be intimacy as well. That's, That's really amazing. That's really unique. Let that land on us this morning. So what's the author of Hebrews doing? He's saying, since... These massive truth statements are, are true, and it's, they're true of you as a community, those who love and follow Jesus as your greatest treasure and trust. What does that have to do with church? What kind, since this is your identity, you have received authority because of Jesus to approach God. That's who you are. If that's who you are, since that's who you are, what implications does that have for community? What implications does it have for church? And he lays them out very clearly. And the first one is this. He says, I want you to draw near. I want you to draw near together. I want you to draw near together as a church to Jesus. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near. Since, verse 19, since, verse 21, What are we going to do? We're going to draw near. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. So, did you notice right off the bat the us language? He's assuming more than one person. He's assuming a plurality. He's assuming gathering. He's assuming church. Now, we have to remember, whenever we read the letters of the New Testament, almost every single one of them is written to a group of people. It's not just written to me. It's not just written to you. It's written to a gathering in ancient Philippi, in ancient Thessalonica, in ancient Ephesus, these, these, these cities in the ancient Middle East. So when you're thinking application, you, usually we always go, well, what does this have to do with me? And usually, if you're, especially if you're reading the epistles of the, the letters of the New Testament, you should be first thinking, what does this have to do for us? What does this have to do with my life in community? Right? That's probably the nearest application when you read the letters of the New Testament. This means that I should draw near to God in my individual quiet time every day. That's not what it means. That's a great sentiment, and that's a great concept, and your individual quiet time is a big deal, and that's another sermon for another day. But what this verse is saying is not you by yourself, but us together. Us together. Let us draw near. Let us pray together. Let us sing together. Let us serve together. Let us counsel one another together. Let us relate to each other and have fun together and have parties together. So what he's saying is that since the gospel is true and you have access to God without fear and shame and having to cower off in the corner, no, you've got direct access to God. That should draw us collectively together to look to Jesus in all these variety of ways. The author of Hebrews is saying that the gospel will never lead you to an individualistic expression of your faith. And the, 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 the fight that we fight is that our culture is predicated and was founded, in some sense, on individualism and consumerism. And so we have to kind of go to war with our culture, with our default setting of individualistic consumer. And seek to be more biblical. Our culture is good. Every culture has good things about it. But you always want your culture to be subordinate to the Bible. Okay? And so we, are, we lean individualistic, and the Bible wants to say something about that. No, it should probably be more us. It should probably be more us together. Us together. Love Jesus together. That doesn't mean you can't have a quiet time by yourself. That's a really important thing. There's lots of things we're gonna do by ourselves. But man, the emphasis should be us together. And together, we should have this collective, expectant, kind of leaning in, like eyebrows raised, like when you know how when you're watching a movie and it's a really exciting part, and you're kind of sitting there like, you know, you're like waiting for something to happen, you're expecting, right? That's what he's saying here. Verse 22, a full assurance of faith. You don't have to stand back and just be like, yeah, whatever, I'm bored, I dare you to entertain me, I dare you to impress me. No, no, that's the opposite. The the, the real thing he's getting at here is this like collective sense that we're all in this together and we're all just like, yes, like I'm ready, I'm ready to receive. Lord, I'm ready, here we are together, us together. We're ready. And, and we're going to fight this fight of faith together. That's the first thing the author of Hebrews has in mind for the original audience and us now. we got to draw near to Jesus together. Okay? Don't be far off and isolated. Draw near to Jesus because you can. You have the authority. He's given it to you, and let's do it together. All right, what else? Number two, we're going to hang on to the truth together. We're going to hang on tight to the truth together. Look at Verse 23. So we're going to draw near to Jesus together. And verse 23, let us hold fast. Since the gospel is true, since you have this new thing that Jesus has done, so you have direct access to him, you don't have to cower in fear, what are we going to do? We're going to hold fast. Verse 23, we're going to hold fast the confession of our hope. We're going to hold fast to that which we've said that we believe. Without wavering. Why? For or because... Here's the foundation for what he just said in verse 23. You can do what I'm telling you to do in verse 23 because the foundation is solid. What's the foundation? He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Well, I want to illustrate what this kind of, I think, looks like here with a very, very short video. Let's check this out. So, this is my backyard. Video taken this morning, and this is a rope swing that we installed uh, a couple years ago, I think. Pretty fun. Kids have a blast. Neighborhood kids have a blast. Even the adults have a blast. And so this rope swing, you know, that platform is about eight foot, and the rope swing is perfectly safe. We've had no fatalities yet. Okay? We have no broken collarbones yet. It's been great. Um, Uh, two years. But that's assuming one thing. That's assuming that you actually hold on. You have to hold on to the rope, okay? Now, the seat is constructed in such a way that you can't just sit on it. It, It'll be kind of wobbly, and you wouldn't be able to, like, hold it with your legs. Uh, The rope's too skinny. The, the, The platform of the seat is too wobbly. And so you have to hold on with your hands really tight, okay? But if you hold on to the rope, we've had no one, big kids, Adults, whoever, little kids, no one's fallen off. And here's the deal. You can hold on with confidence. Why? You can step off that platform with confidence, even though it's eight foot. Why? Well, because the rope is strong. And the tree is really strong. The tree is really, really strong. The tree and the rope are trustworthy. Well, how do I know this? Well, let me, I'll give you a a poignant illustration. So he's not here this morning, but some of you have probably seen Big Nate. He's in our city group. He's about 6'6", 6'7", 260. And he used to play tight end for the Michigan Wolverines. Big guy. Strong guy. And he's a, you know, as you can imagine, a high-level football player. He really enjoys things that demand a lot from himself. He's not uh, averse to taking an adventure uh, he loves things that are gonna, you know, jack up his adrenaline. I've seen some videos of him cliff jumping; it's pretty impressive. So I said, Nate, um, yeah, you want to try the swing? Yeah, do it, man. It's great. Okay, so he, you know, gets seated on the platform. Like you should probably just kind of ease yourself off the platform and just kind of let it, let it do its thing. And not Nate, you know, big, big six seven two sixty. He jumps off the platform, and so that creates a little slack in the rope, right? And then that bottoms out when he hits and the rope goes tight and the whole tree is just like brrr. And, and But you know what? It freaked me out for a second, but it was fine. It was fine. Why? If this thing is safe. Why? Because the rope is rated for 700 pounds, so we could put three nates on that rope, right? Or roughly, I don't, don't, don't uh, correct my math. And, and hickory trees are really, really strong. Hickory trees are amazingly strong. They're, they're very, very hard wood. And if, uh, as long as that tree is green, man, you could put a ton, thousands of pounds of, of pressure on those trees, even if the branches are, you know, like that big. And this is a perfect illustration of what the author of Hebrews is getting at here for his original audience in terms of community. Let us hold fast. Let's hold on to the rope. Let's, let's hang on tight to what? To the confession of our hope without wavering you can step off the platform knowing that Jesus is going to catch you why because he who promised is faithful he promised that, that rope won't break he promised that, that tree is not going to snap in half and he has the authority to say it why because he made the rope because he made the tree Jesus is the rope Jesus is the tree You can hold on to Jesus. You don't have to cower in fear and go back to Judaism because of persecution. You can jump off that platform with full confidence because he's faithful, because he's trustworthy. That's what it says here. He made promises. God never lies. Every time he makes a promise, he fulfills it. He promised that he would rise from the dead. He did. He promised that he will come back. He will. You don't have to back down in the face of persecution. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. The tree's not going to break. You can stand up and recite the Apostles' Creed like we do on Sunday mornings without any reticence, without any shame, even if the whole world says it's crazy. Why? Because he's faithful. He's trustworthy. The tree's not going to break. Jesus is the rope and the tree. He promised to hold on to you as you hold on to him. He's faithful. Remember the gospel. That's what the author Hebrews is doing. For these people that are stressed and being persecuted and wondering, is it worth it? He's saying he died for you. He was raised for you. He's in the position of all authority over the whole universe right now for the sake of empowering the church. You can hold fast to him. Hold on to the rope. He's going to hold you up. He can handle a million pounds of pressure. He's a million times stronger than a hickory tree. He's faithful. So we're gonna draw near together. We're gonna hold on tight together to our confession, to the gospel, to the truth. And then what else? Finally, we're gonna stir one another up together. We're gonna stir one another up together. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up. To love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look at what it says there. Let us consider how to stir up one another. So, you know how if you live with someone, a roommate, a brother and sister, a spouse, We can stir one another up negatively in a hurry, right? You know how to push that person's buttons, right? Married couples, anybody, it doesn't take long, right? We know each other really well. We know what makes them feel good. We know what can stir them up negatively. And man, like kids do this all the time, right? Kids love to stir it up. And I got one especially that just loves to needle in there, just get in there, right? He's sitting right here, little Emmers. Now, this is a perfect illustration, perfect illustration. So when he was about two and a half, and our youngest, Maya, was probably 10, 11 months, you know, just starting to crawl around and loved just to be on the loose and just uh, crawling all over the house. And maybe the two of them would be upstairs playing or whatever, and uh, we would be downstairs, and we just hear Maya just start screaming, just screaming bloody murder. Run up there, and the two of them would just be sitting there, and it's like, what? And Emma would just be looking at us like, what? Me? Like, no. What? And like going back downstairs. Okay, fine. Five minutes later, she just starts screaming, and it's like, what is happening upstairs with these children? And we go up there, nothing. Well, a few days later. We discovered what was happening. So Maya would love to just be crawling around, and Emmer's would just kind of sidle up to her, all sweet and innocent and shy and cute, and he would just grab her foot and just hold it, so that she couldn't go anywhere, and he would just hold it and just. And then we'd run up there, and, and we'd, he'd look at us like, "What, me? He, sweet little Emmer's, me? How could you dare accuse me of doing such? Yeah, he's a little diabolical, right?" He loves to get in there, and he would love to just stir her up. He got such a rise out of hearing that screaming to see us run up the stairs, even at two and a half. Well, you know, we all know what that's like. We all know how to do that to each other, right? Just get under each other's skin. But what the author of Hebrews here is saying is we got to do the opposite. We got to stir each other up, but not negatively. Not because we enjoy getting a rise out of people. No, because we love one another. And we want to stir each other up positively. But that might be harder to do. It's easy to stir up your spouse negatively. Right? That's super easy. But the author of Hebrews is saying to the original church and to us, man, let's do the hard thing of trying to do that positively. And what that's going to do, what what is that going to imply? That's going to imply, verse 24... Let us consider, meaning we got to think about this. Let's mull this over in our minds. It's not going to just be something we can passively have happen. No, consider this means we're going to have to be active. So let's consider it. Let's think about it. Mull it over. Be reflective. How we can do what? Help each other be more loving. Help each other bear more fruit, looking like good deeds. See that in verse 24? What if our agenda was every time we walked into church— Or every time you saw someone from church, your your first thought was, man, what can I do to stir this person up to love that's going to overflow into a life of good deeds? What's it going to take for me right now in this moment? Maybe we only have five minutes. What can I do to not stir them up negatively, frustrate them, discourage them? No, but to encourage them to stir them up to love and good deeds? How can I get them energized, motivated, passionate about loving and doing good deeds? How could we do that? Quite literally, how could we do that regularly as a community on a Sunday morning as we gather in the lobby, as we gather right here after church, as we show up at our city groups? Now this is just my brainstorms and you guys probably have another 100 creative ideas. And there's a a Slack channel called Sermon Discussion. I'd love to see some people put some thoughts up there. How can we do this? I'm not the only one that that has the answers here. How can we help each other get motivated to loving and and serving and and demonstrating with our lives that we love Jesus? Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is super simple. It's no big shocker. It's just what the author of Hebrews is doing here in the first few verses is, man, I get motivated and stirred up and energized when you remind me of the gospel, when you remind me of the truth, right? Now, I haven't forgotten the gospel, but there's so many times, and you guys know what this is like, when you functionally forget the gospel in the moment and your emotions that might be negative are the overriding concern and the gospel is just kind of tucked away back here where I'm consumed with anger or I'm consumed with impatience or when I'm consumed with worry and anxiety. I haven't forgotten the gospel. Like I know the facts, I can pass the test, but I'm functionally forgotten it because I'm not living like it in that moment. Does that make sense? And so what this probably practically looks like is that, man, I need you to remind me of the truth as simple as that. We need to be a community that's willing to open our mouths and speak the truth of the gospel, like the author of Hebrews is doing here, to one another. Now, this happens in formal ways all the time. It's happening right now. You're listening to the preaching of God's word. I'm hopefully encouraging you in the gospel, reminding you of the gospel. Hopefully that stirs you up to be more loving, right? As we collectively consider the cross and the empty tomb together, hopefully that has an impact. We do it when we're singing, We're reminding ourselves of the truth. Man, my name is written on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Man, when I sing that, man, I need to be reminded of that. Like, he's got me. I don't have to be ruled by anxiety because he's got me. I don't have to be ruled by fear. He's got me. Our singing is a way that that stirs me up. Right? That's a good thing. So, It happens in your small group when you pray together, when you open the Bible together and you look at it and go, wow, that that truth, man, I needed to be reminded of that this week. That's landing on me afresh this week. That's going to stir me up. Right now I'm feeling stirred up and I want that to carry out of this meeting. So that probably means, formally speaking, if we're all about what the author of Hebrews is talking about here, we should make Sunday and and Citigroup a priority. There's lots of other ways, but at minimum, let's make those a priority. Because those are tangible, formal, uh, practical ways that as a church, this verse comes alive in our community. So let's just do verse 25. Look at verse 25. What does it say? It says, not neglecting to meet together. Let's just do what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, y'all got to get together. Now, in their context, they were failing to get together because if you're publicly identified with Christianity in a gathering, the Romans might come get you. They might throw you in jail. It was happening, right? So that doesn't happen to most of us, but I think the truth is still consistent that we need to gather. We need to be together. Why? Because look at verse 25. He's saying, if you don't neglect meeting, there's going to be words of what? But encouraging one another. Words of encouragement. See that? The implication is that if you gather together, for us at Sunday mornings and city groups, and make that a priority, there's going to be something that happens. There's going to be words that are going to come out of your mouth for everyone else. It's going to be this big reciprocation, overlapping relationship, this web of encouragement that happens that's going to make you guys strong. See that? He's not saying, okay, you're going to show up to church. Don't neglect church. Okay, so, okay, I hear you. We're going to show up to church. And then I'm just going to show up and keep my mouth shut. No, no, no. He's not saying that. He's saying, don't neglect. So you can't lay in bed all day. You can't do that. But what can you do? You're going to stop doing something. You're going to stop neglecting church. And then you're going to positively start doing something. Another language in the book of Ephesians is, we're going to put something off, and then we're going to put something else on. Okay? It's not just show up to church and be silent. No, it's going to be actually active. Does that make sense? That's very common in the Bible. We're going to stop something and start something. We're going to put off something and we're going to, and we're going to put on something. And so that's just what he's saying here. The, these gatherings are important so that we can have endurance and be encouraged. Now, that's, we've talked about the formal ways, formal gatherings, city groups, Sunday morning. But what about just in our informal relationships? What about just when we see each other? I think I need to, and I think you need to. This isn't true for everyone. I think it's true for a lot of us. Just get over the weirdness factor of talking about the truth of the gospel. A lot of you can relate to this. Like it's really easy to talk about the weather. It's really easy to talk about, oh, how was your vacation? Oh, what were your plans for? And that's not bad. That's good. That's good. But I wonder if we can go deeper than that. I wonder if we can say things like, hey, you know what? I love you and I want you to know that I'm praying for you and Jesus died for you. So you don't have to be anxious about A, B, and C. He's got it. Like, I don't know why stuff like that feels hard for a lot of us. But, man, I want to just push against that and and have that be normal where it doesn't feel weird. And based on our personalities, a lot of us are going to, you know, have varying degrees of challenge with that. I don't for me, sometimes I wonder if it's like, oh, they're going to think I'm preaching again, or maybe it just feels too intimate or something. But I want us to consider, why is it that it's hard for us sometimes to do what the author of Hebrews is doing? He's saying, guys, remember the truth. Remember the truth. And a lot of the truth, we're going to live a certain way. I just think we should strive to get over this because because based on this text, I think it stunts our growth. It stunts our health as a church. It's like, if we believe verse 19, 20, and 21, why don't we say these things to each other? Like, we should ask ourselves that question, right? Like, if you say you love your wife, then you should tell her that. The words, I love you, should come out of your mouth. And if they never do, then, man, we should talk about why that is, right? Right? If we believe these things about Jesus, then words are going to have to come out of our mouths to one another that remind each other of the truth that we say we believe. This is how we stir one another up to love and good deeds. We share the gospel to one another. We stare at the gospel together. And, and whether you're introvert or extrovert, that, it's not really that big of a deal. Like, that's just the body of Christ. We're all going to be different, and that's very, very normal, and that should be celebrated we're all going to have different degrees to which this is going to be easy or hard, and that's fine. But just ask yourself this. If, 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 if you've never looked someone in the eye and said, hey, can I remind you of a truth from God's word that means a lot to me that I think might help you in this, situa- this situation? That doesn't have to be those words, but just something like that. It, if, if that just seems like really, really challenging, let's just ask ourselves why that is. Well, maybe you would say, man, I'm just a, a baby Christian. I don't know that much of the Bible. Well, even like a small little sliver of what you know as a baby Christian, like I repented and Jesus has forgiven me for my sins. Even that, you might never know how the Holy Spirit could use those words coming out of your mouth to stir someone else up to love and good deeds. So, so we have to stir one another up. And one main way we do that is through talking about truth with each other. So, man, there's a thousand creative ways to get at this. I would just ask you to think about it. Really think about it. If if that's really hard for me in my conversations to see how the gospel intersects to what we're talking about or how our Christian faith or God's word intersects with what we're talking about, let's just ask ourselves why that is. And then if if you really struggle with that and you believe that this is a value and convinced of it, then all you got to do is just ask for help. Ask your city leader, your city group leader for help. Ask one of the elders for help. Ask somebody sitting by you for help. Like, or someone that does this to you really well. Say, man, how do you do that? Can you coach me up on this? Now, you've been such an encouragement to me. I want to be encouragement like that to other people. You stir me up to love and good deeds. How can I do that like you do that with other people? You know, just ask for help. That should be normal in our, in our community. There's no shame in that. It's just beautiful humility, right? We've got nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. Nothing to defend. So just go for it. So Jesus has made a way for all people who love him to go directly to him with a heart of full assurance <clears throat> that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful to never fail us. That's the summary of nineteen, twenty, and 21. And since that's true, our church is going to focus on, on three things for the sake of health, for the sake of a healthy community that's on mission, that has endurance, that doesn't back down. We're going to draw near together. We're we're going to hold on to our confession, to the truth together. And we're going to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And that's how church becomes beautiful. That's how the gospel is lived out among us. Let's pray together. Father, would you make this so? Would you help us? We need your help. Would your, would your word, by the power of your spirit, come alive in our hearts right now so there can be um, tangible action? And Lord, where we fail, Lord, thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you forgive us. And may that forgiveness revolutionize our love for you and uh, compel us to move into the future with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen.